electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, airlines seeking over $50 billion in government assistance, three times the size of their bailouts after 9-11. Aerospace analyst Seth Kaplan. This is an industry that thought it had put itself in a position to get through absolutely anything, and, you know, it well, probably was in a position to get through absolutely anything except this. Mark Cuban says the U.S. government has taken risk out of the equation. But bailouts are needed for workers. When you're really blessed like I am, the value of one marginal dollar becomes minimal. It's not just about how much more money I can make, but what else, what other types of impact can I have? And the latest on staying safe with Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA chief. We're certainly having an impact on the scope of this epidemic and the contours of this epidemic. It's Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are coming to you live from all over the place today. Uh, I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Joe Kernan. And again, we are making sure we continue to broadcast to you through this uh, pandemic that we are watching at this point. First up on today's pod, the U.S. government's plan for economic stimulus. The Federal Reserve has announced measures that it's taking. We've discussed that here on Squawk Pod. Now, the U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin has pitched a $1 trillion package to Senate Republicans. Now, this plan includes sending Americans checks to help households and businesses stay afloat. The Trump administration has backed it, but other Republicans are split. Here's Andrew. Ultimately, what's going to happen is you're already oh, seeing yeah. the Elizabeth, you're already seeing the Elizabeth Warrens and others say, you know, if we're going to give money, we need to clamp down on executive compensation. We need to have these stipulations and these stipulations. Frankly, what needs to happen, and I think from chronicling the 2008 crisis and every other crisis, is you just need massive stimulus. You actually don't want strings attached because you want as many people to take the stimulus as humanly possible, yes. which is antithetical. Yes, Joe, but politically, you want this, on the other end this, of, where, of, of where you typically be. You want be. this to happen. Andrew, you want this to happen as quickly as possible, but you probably want it to be more targeted. You start thinking about how to hand that much money away. And, uh, you know, look, it, it needs to go to the people who have lost their jobs, who have been put out of work, and from the small business owners who are in that position of already having laid them off. I, I saw a letter this morning from a guy I'm hoping we're going to have on the show tomorrow. Um, he's a restaurateur. He's based in Ohio, but he's got restaurants, I think, in, what is it, 37 restaurants in 14 states. On Monday, he laid off 4,000 employees. He's saying that it would basically take him at least two weeks of revenue to get all those places back up and running because he has to bring in managers uh, and staff ahead of time to get the restaurants clean, to get everything back up and running. I mean, I don't need money. You don't need money right now. Joe doesn't need money right now. I'd like to see that money go to the people who need it. I talked to an accountant yesterday in New Jersey who says that he's got about 20 clients that just this week have had to lay off 50 percent or more of their staff. He was talking about cancellations of business that's been booked out over the next two months and no new business coming in. These are people like caterers, limo service providers, moving companies, tree service providers. He said they're all dead in the water. And that's where the immediate incredible shock has come across this country. And that's right. where the money needs to be. Becky, and 
And we're definitely but having we, different we hats shifting around. I, I saw AOC yesterday. AOC yesterday said something about, wait a second, Boeing had $38 billion in buybacks over the last the, however many years. Now we're talking about a $60 billion bailout for the industry. And I found myself going, I mean, that's, I, I mean, definitely there's yeah. some, some Look, po- political uh, nobody, had, nobody was saving, places being saving shifted. anything I, for a I, almost agree, I agree with that. Um, I almost I agree with that, that here you blew all this money up at three and $400 a share. Yeah. Now but, you're down. But the damage and, and is too great. Pro- well, Joe, the, the, let, let me just suggest that ultimately whatever stimulus you tell is me gonna, how it is, Andrew? No, I'm just going to suggest that whatever, whatever stimulus program we're going to have is ultimately going to privatize the gains and socialize the losses. That's what happens in a crisis. But when the crisis is over, right. there needs to be a real discussion about financial responsibility in this country, which we don't have in the best of times to actually have insurance policies and money Can on hand something? when yeah. these things happen. And that's, that's the problem Boeing employs 100,000 people. Because to use, to, to use the crisis to change the policy in the moment is too painful. The problem is that nobody's willing to use, uh, to, 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 to use the good times to change the policy. And we've had that debate you know too what, many Andrew, times. The I, was yesterday, Andrew? I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I think that we got to look at all this ESG stakeholder stuff that we went through and realize... Holy cow, we need profits to do all these great things. We do. We need, we need profits to share with our stakeholders. And if you, if you blow all this money on some CEO's pet projects for virtue signaling, and then you come to a time like this, you realize, wow, shareholders really do need to have profits to share with. To satisfy any other stakeholders, you need to be profitable and not planting trees in, in Africa. Boeing will be asking for tens of billions of dollars in government aid this coming as Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin called this crisis, quote, worse than 9-11 for the airline industry. Joining us right now to talk about it is Seth Kaplan, principal at Kaplan Research. Good morning to you, Seth. Uh, let's talk about the need uh, for these bailouts, what happens to these airlines. Uh, Greg Ipp suggested that unemployment in this country just on travel alone would go from 3.5 percent to 6 percent. Right. That just the travel related job losses would would drive the overall employment rate up to up to six percent. This, as everybody has has said, is worse than 9-11 in a lot of ways. And we do have to sort of try to put ourselves back in that mindset. It's easy now to say, well, the the thing about 9-11 is that that awful first day was the worst day. And then there was recovery. We know that now we didn't know that when we were in the middle of that. Uh, Remarkable that these airlines, you know, 9-11 happened on a Tuesday. By that Saturday, they were laying off tens of thousands of people. 75,000 U.S. airline jobs were gone within a few weeks. This time, these giant airlines haven't laid off anybody in terms of direct employees yet. So that speaks to the position they were in going into this thing. But, uh, but, uh, but obviously, uh, throw out the window. Seth, what's the, ru- what's the run rate? Can, can you just speak to the run rate in terms of employment costs? If the, if the goal is to keep people employed, to keep people on payrolls across the country, and this is in all businesses, but specifically in the airline business, where we could just take a Delta or an American Airlines as an example. What, to, to, what to is pay there? people, yeah, to, to pay people to do, to do, to, do, to stay to, at home, to, to frankly, no, to do nothing. Yes. Uh, so for, for the U.S., for the U.S. industry, uh, I'm just trying to do quick math. Uh, Delta was what is what uh, does a, a $6 billion profit on $40 billion in revenue and, and uh, something, I mean, it's, it's up for the industry. I, I, I mean, 60, 70, 80 billion dollars or something to, to, to you know, if, if you're just if you're just paying salaries annually. Uh, 
for the U.S. Yeah, I mean, that's very, very, very bad. But right. anyway, it's, it's not $5 billion and it's not $500 billion. I mean, that's just, you know, very, very roughly. Yeah, so, so that's, you know, and that might be part of the grand bargain here, and that might be part of why. I mean, at some point, look, the, uh, you know, people running airlines have this fiduciary responsibility and responsibility to everybody to, to, to save the company. But in terms of why they are still paying people to do nothing, right. that might be the leverage here because they know there are people out there saying, you know, this industry earned tens of billions of dollars in profits right. last year. Well, th- and, and, this yeah. becomes a question. Long term, if there is a targeted bailout, and this goes to the, whether you want to do a targeted bailout or a nationwide bailout. If you do a targeted bailout at the airline industry, by default, you're going to determine their common carriers. That's what's going to happen, right? Yeah. And therefore, you're going to have to put some forms of other regulation on them. Forget about buybacks. It's going to be about building this remarkable insurance cushion uh, over the years, and it would change the entire dynamic of the industry. I'm not suggesting that's the wrong thing to do. I just suggest that's the political thing. If this is the way, if this is the path they're going to go down, uh, especially because I mean, as, as Greg was, was talking earlier about how this just just impacts absolutely everybody. I mean, this is. You know, the idea of too big to fail, the problem is that it's not a redistribution anymore, right? Because everybody's in, in the same situation. So if we're going to say that this industry is special, even though, you know, the, the guy at the Greek deli in my neighborhood is, you know, is, is feeling it just as, as badly, then, then, then yeah, you, uh, uh, you know, it, it's reasonable to right. say. And you've got the, and you've got the unions uh, saying that, of course. Uh, unions representing flight attendants, pilots, and others, that that, that, that should be tied to it. And, and so you Seth, can understand. Well, so, Seth, yeah. right today, right now, Delta is worth something on the order of $20, $20 billion. Does that make sense to you? Is, are investors, is, that, is that a bet that investors are going to be bailed out by taxpayers? Is that what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, yeah, I think that's that's baked in that there's that, I mean, that's what's tra- you know, all the usual granular stuff. Obviously, nobody could look at now. But no, I mean, I think I think at this point, you know, we know what the airlines have asked for 50 billion, you know, 25 billion in grants, 25 billion in loans. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I think at this point, that's that's right. the expectation uh, that that. Hey, Seth, hang on. We got Becky who's got a question yeah. for you. Hey, Becky. Hey, if that's baked in, how come you're looking at some of those airlines down by another 10 percent this morning? My, my guess is investors are thinking, OK, the, the industry may, be, may get bailed out, but we're not sure what that means for shareholders. Yet. For, for shareholders, no, exactly. And, 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 you know, you've heard those calls out there that uh, for, for shareholders to somehow get, uh, get diluted by all this. But, um, but no, exactly. That's a fair, fair point. That's two, two separate questions. You know, jobs and is there still something called American Airlines versus what does that mean for shareholders? And therefore, the question I'd ask you, Seth, is if you're an investor out there today who actually owns these airline stocks, what are you even supposed to think? Uh, well, yeah. And, and, and some and people that, say there's an opportunity that you should, you, should, you should buy the stocks and bet that the government's going to save you and protect you and protect the shareholders. And others might say you need to get rid of this immediately because they're going to private, they're going to uh, they'd effectively nationalize the airlines when everything's done and you're going to lose everything. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, it... it I'm trying to think of baby bathwater, what the right analogy is there. You know, I, I don't think I, I think the industry legitimately reformed itself enough uh, that you that, that, you know, that that's probably not not what's going to happen here. Uh, but but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, obviously, if you are still holding shares of these airlines, that's your bet that the industry is not going to be nationalized or, or, or something like that, that uh, that this is going to be, you know, like the banks, just like, you know, what, what happened there with the uh, with the ratios and everything, that this is an industry that thought it had put itself in a position to get through absolutely anything. And, you know, and it will, probably was in a position to get through absolutely anything except this. Right. Uh, and and, uh, and and so that's that's your bet. I think if you're holding these now is that, yeah, it's going to look different. Uh, but 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 
the, the, you know, but they're, they're not going to, but the equity is obviously not going right. to get wiped out. If, if hey, Seth, uh, thank you, as always, yeah. and uh, stay safe. Meantime, NBA team owners were some of the first people to pledge support for their arena workers as the coronavirus hit U.S. shores. Now, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban says companies are bailed out. All employees should have the chance to benefit from a possible turnaround in the form of stock compensation. Mark Cuban joins us now on the phone. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning. We've been through these bailouts before, um, and there have been a lot of uh, political finger-pointing afterwards. You have a a thought about how this should be done. Yeah, we we already know what's going to happen. You know, a year after this, you know, plays out, and it will, um, we'll look back and say, why don't we, you know, consider the workers, the everyday hourly worker, um, the people, you know, making minimum wage? Why don't we reward them as well? And so let's get ahead of it. And whatever we do in a bailout, make sure that every worker um, gets compensated and is treated equally and that the executives don't get rewarded extra to stick around because they got nowhere else to go. You know, the government's taking their risk out of the equation. Let's treat all workers equally. So but how would we do that? Because one of the things that, you know, look, there's going to be all sorts of stimulus plans, bailouts and the like. And one of the things you want to do is get that money into the system as quickly as possible. You don't want people not to take the money. And so the more strings that that you attach to it, and I'm not suggesting you don't, but the more that you do, the more likely it is that certain people may hold back. And so I'm trying to figure out how to how to capture that balance. Okay. Two different things. One, getting money into the system is a function of the Fed, and they're obviously taking those steps right now. Two is when there's a bailout. When there's a bailout and um, the government comes in and offers assistance to an organization or public company in particular, whether it's an airline, whatever it may be, there, there are most likely going to be steps taken by the company, and historically this is what has taken place, where they reward the executives. Mm-hmm. They reprice their options. They give them more stock. They give them warrants. They give them options, whatever it may be. Whatever it is that a company does for their executives, they should be required to proportionally do the same thing for everyone else that works for the company. Period. End of story. Part one. Part two, no buybacks. Not now. Not a year from now, not 20 years from now, not ever, because effectively you're spending taxpayer money to buy back stock. And to me, that's just just the wrong way to do that. Do you think that we're going to have a a national bailout for for companies across the board? Do you think we should we should look to airlines or other specific industries for help I mean, that we should be helping? How would you approach it? Um, I think we have to. I mean, look, this is cascading, and it's getting worse by the minute. The number of layoffs is just skyrocketing. And so if, if, if I walked in the door, the first thing I would do is prioritize. And I would create effectively, and this isn't the right word, but effectively create two buckets. Bucket number one, and we have to do these things in parallel. Bucket number one is how do you, how do you help companies of all sizes to keep paying their employees and not lay them off or fire them? Because we want to keep people employed, even if it's make good work, even if this is the Tennessee Valley Authority all over again, and we're just um, subsidizing companies to keep their employees on the payroll and finding things for them to do. Because keeping them in the payroll it will pay off more in terms of minimizing taxpayer requirements than releasing them or fire them or laying them off and then having to go find jobs in the future. So that's bucket number one. Do all you can to keep people employed. Bucket number two, we've already seen significant layoffs. There were people who were already unemployed. 
that's where we might consider helping people, whereas if you're going on to unemployment or any type of government, um, federal government assistance, then maybe we pay them a bonus, and that's not a good word for this, but give them a check for the $1,000 to help them get through the immediate need um, because they've just been laid off or they don't have a job. And that helps people get through these problem times. But they should be just two very distinct buckets. But the priority has got to be working to keep um, to working to help people stay employed. I actually don't like the idea of just giving everybody a thousand dollar check, because for a lot of small businesses, you know, if they know that their employees are going to get a check and that business is struggling, they might say, you know what, I'm going to release, I'm going to lay them off or fire them because I know they have a backstop of some sort. And when this is hopefully all over in three or four months, like people are predicting, we'll, we'll figure it out then. That creates a far greater stress on the system. So I really think that the priority needs to be, one, keep people employed, and two, those who have lost their job, you know, we've seen the entertainment industry, we've seen the hospitality industry, the, the airline industry, the transportation industry is all decimated. And where there have been layoffs, I'm, I don't have a problem with those people as they get onto federal assistance, giving them a check up front to help support them and the economy. But we've got to deal with both. And I think the priority needs to be on helping people keep their jobs. Okay. Um, Mark, hang on for a second. I want to see if we can bring Joe into the conversation. Sure. Joe, you there? Sure. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mark. How are you? I, I you know, it just Good. The, nobody likes any of this stuff. I mean, all bets are off, aren't they? I mean, these are I, yeah. I just don't anytime we think, you know, we don't want to do this moral. I mean, do we really do we need to talk about moral hazard when you're talking about a, a, a deadly virus? I, I don't know. It seems like any you know other time I, I, I understand, but. I agree, Joe. The perfection is the enemy of progress. You know, in normal times, you want to look at all the distribution of outcomes and try to do the best thing that helps the most number of people. But this is this is a, a new world, literally. This is this is the new new normal, and we have to just look at what's in front of us and deal with it. Um, you know, and yes, there's going to be people who scam the system, but you can't hurt you hurt the people who need it and risk sub, risk supporting the economy and. And what the, the tragic things that could happen there, because you're trying to avoid some people scamming the system. But you do bring up a good point in terms of moral hazard. What we can do is increase the penalties. And so, like, you know, when we went through the financial crisis, you know, people talk about how no one went to jail. Well, as part of all of this, you know, whether it's a bailout, whether it's a thousand dollar check uh, for those who have lost their jobs, we should add if you try to scam the system in any way, shape or form, there is jail as your penalty because we want to introduce a moral hazard. I'm not talking about, you know, something ridiculously uh, draconian, but still there, there should be something. It shouldn't be a civil issue. It should be fully a criminal issue. And everybody should know that going in. Yeah. And Mark, I, I just if we have to decide what kind of snapback we're going to get when we do get through this. And, and you know, I pray that it, it, it's sooner rather than later. How psyched Amen. are you going to be to sit on the side? I mean, did you did you appreciate it enough when you're sitting there? Watch, I'm Jones in on DraftKings. I'm like, I'm going to bet on like esports, but I don't think you can do that either. But I mean, missing the final <laughs> yeah, four, I mean, that's going to snap back. 
you know, we all we all use sports as a way to celebrate, a way to get excited, the way to come together. Um, nobody throws a parade when Apple or Google will have the most amazing quarter they've ever had. But when a team wins a championship, they throw a parade. And so we'll, hopefully we'll have the Olympics and we'll be able to come together as a country around our, our team, our, you know, the U.S. Olympics team, and that'll be great for us. We'll all get out, out of the house. We'll all celebrate together. Hopefully when the NBA, the NHL, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball, um, football all start to really happen again, we'll all get excited about our teams and as communities will come together. Sports will be a vital mechanism for bringing people back together when this happens. And so, yeah, I'm excited for that. But in reality, basketball is the last thing on my mind right now. But I will say we're using the Mavericks to try to do as much as we can to, to keep people energized and engaged while everybody's stuck at home. Hey, Mark. I, hey, Mark, it's good to talk to you. I, I saw your reaction. I think we all did. The cameras were on you when you were on the sidelines of the game to find out that the NBA was shutting things down. Your reaction, I think, at that point was something like, are you kidding me or something along those lines? Maybe yeah, you changed done. your tune yeah. really quickly. What, what what to kind of walk us through your emotional, uh, you know, the hill oh, you kind of climbed goodness. and fell back off of the other side. Yeah, I mean, we had considered all the potential options, the, the Mavs management, and and really, it what what really ignited my response was prior to the game. I met with the players, and one of the players said, "What are the chances the season gets suspo- uh, suspended or postponed?" And I said, five, ten percent at most." And you know, I'd considered it, but I really didn't consider it likely based on the information we had at that time. And then when it came across that Rudy Gobert had been sick and that one game had been canceled and the season had been canceled, it, it, I was just stunned. And you know, then my mind started thinking. You know, the entrepreneur in me took over. Okay, what are the elements that are that I need to consider going forward? You know, what are my responsibilities? You know, who's going to be helped? You know, what are the opportunities and who's going to get hurt? And this was so drastic and so outside the realm of anything I really considered likely that that's when I started thinking about, okay, who's going to get hurt the most and what can I do and, and how can we make sure that every, everybody lands on their feet? Because, you know, let me just say this, you know, when, when you're really blessed like I am, the value of one marginal dollar becomes minimal. And so I've gotten to the point in my life where it's not just about how much more money I can make, but what else, what other types of impact can I have? And, and so that literally was the one of the first things that crossed my mind. What can I do to try to help people and try to make it better? And starting with the Mavs employees, arena employees, that was my focus. And so, you know, that, that's, so when I did that interview, that's what I was thinking about. And then obviously my family and my mom who's 82 and other people like what, what happens next? Cause it was complete uncertainty then. You invest in the markets. Um, yes. What are you thinking? What would you do? You know, I've, I've been putting in, you know, one, one and a half percent to work on every down day, um, buying mostly SPYs and dipping my toes. I bought a little Live Nation. I actually sold some puts um, and sold some calls on some things I had because just the premiums are just incredible. I mean, it's stunning the, the premiums that are in place right now. But it looks like we're starting to get into a training, trading range, you know, up 5%, down 5%, up 5%, down 5%. And I'm, I'm not quite sure why. And I'm not quite sure if the quants have kicked back in yet and feel like they have good data to start making um, a, a lot of trades. And so, 
you know, it felt like for a while we had active management doing all the work and try to figure things out. And now over the last three days, it feels like we're starting to get more algorithmic trading coming into the market. And now today, based off of the, you know, being up yesterday and being down about the same today, it looks like we may be starting to fall into a range. So, you know, I'll, I'll act accordingly, but it's just every day, this is just like how much information can you acquire and what right. new is coming along and how does that change things? So I'm like everybody else. Okay. You know, I'll dip my toe in the water hoping that two years from now, you know, this will all be a, a nightmare that we put behind us and the market will be much higher. Uh, let's hope you're right. Mark Cuban, uh, thank you so very much. And please uh, stay safe thank and you guys. healthy. And thanks uh, for keeping on working. I mean, it, it's, it's good. It gives us all a sense of normalcy when we're stuck at home and we get to turn Squawk Box on and CNBC all, all day long, for that matter. Makes us feel a little better. Thank you, Mark, so very, very much. Really appreciate it. Coming up on Squawk Pod, more ways to curb the spread of coronavirus. Dr. Scott Gottlieb, Squawk regular and former head of the FDA, you hear from him a lot, suggests there could be more to come. Do we require people to wear not N95 masks, which are in short supply, but procedure masks, if we know there's asymptomatic spread or mildly symptomatic young people spreading this virus? We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up and Andrew, Q. Worldwide coronavirus infections have now topped 200,000. Almost 6,500 cases have been confirmed in the United States, nearly 2,000 more than at this time just yesterday. 114 people here have died. In his latest op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, CNBC contributor Dr. Scott Gottlieb talks about the capacity of the U.S. hospitals and how there still could be time to flatten the curve of the rising number of cases. Dr. Gottlieb joins us now on the phone. He's also the former FDA commissioner, of course, and serves on the boards of Pfizer and Illumina. And um, we are always grateful to have his expertise with us. Good morning to you, doctor. Um, Let's talk about flattening the curve for a second, because there have been lots of steps that have now been taken over the past several days across this country uh, and in this state and city where we are right now in New York. And as people are trying to look at the timeline of what this may or may not B, the president, of course, mentioned July and August recently. Investors are trying to figure out uh, what this timeline looks like. Of course, the timeline gets extended out, the better we do in terms of flattening the curve to some degree. What are you, what are you seeing in terms of estimates and how that flattening is changing, or is it? Well, we're, we're, thanks for having me this morning. We're certainly having an impact on the scope of this epidemic and the contours of this epidemic and how, how many cases we're going to get at the peak and how long it's going to last. The steps we've taken in the last two weeks are very aggressive. I, I think I'm, I'm heartened by what the mayors and the governors have been willing to do. These are strong actions. I think the president's reference was probably to the analysis that's that's circulating in Washington in the White House. It shows this peaking out late April, early May. Remember, if you peak in, in April, if you're in the end of April, seven weeks from now, 
you still continue to accrue cases for another seven weeks. That's just the peak. It comes down. So that analysis would show this epidemic continuing the course into late June, and that, right. that gets you into July. So I think that might have been what he was referring to. I'm okay. not sure. Doctor, can you, can you just, on, on that peak issue, though, so let's say we're in a late, late April, early May situation. It gets extended out through the end of, of June, and maybe that's the way businesses should think about this, investors should think about it. If that's the case, though, the, the social distancing steps and everything else that we're taking today, in your mind, they need to last through the end of June? I mean, I, I'm trying to understand if people look at the peak, because people look at what, what took place in China and elsewhere, and after it started to peak out, as you know, at least in China, some people started to go back to work and you start, you start to see an increase of business again. Is that the right way to think about it or not so much? I think it's going to be very hard to take our foot off the brake if we're still accruing cases. Um, and that's why I think a lot of school closures are going to be in perpetuity. Probably the school year is lost for a lot of these districts where there is community transmission um, because you don't want to lift the restrictions too quickly and then have another uh, resurgence right. in cases. But you can, you can lift them and then put in place other measures. And so, for the example, you know, one of the things we might contemplate is do we require people to wear not N95 masks, which are in short supply, but procedure masks, if we know there's asymptomatic spread or mildly symptomatic young people spread this virus, the procedure masks aren't in short supply. Um, it's the N95 masks that the healthcare workers need. So there might be other things we can substitute in uh, that could provide some protection as, as transmission slows down right. and the risk isn't as great. Doctor, in terms of, I mean, uh, we've been talking to you literally daily, and so trying to understand the progress that's being made one way or the other. Um, you know, if you look at what's taking place in Italy, the numbers continue to ramp. Um, how much should the United States take away from that experience relative to the experience of South Korea. I think one of the other things investors um, and, frankly, policymakers are trying to do is look at these different models, and it's very hard to ascertain why certain things are happening in certain regions. Well, I think what South Korea did was very aggressive testing right at the outset and, and um, an effort to contain and isolate people. Uh, they tested one in 200 people in South Korea, and they even tested you know, young people. Right, right now in the U.S., even though we have more testing capability in terms of platforms, we're still not able to test everyone. Certain people are being told to just stay at home and assume you have coronavirus. The problem with that is that if you don't have a positive test result, you're probably less likely to self-isolate and take it seriously, and you also can't enforce the quarantine without a positive test result in most cases. So testing people and telling them they have it could be very helpful. Um, in Italy, there were a couple of things that went wrong. Number one, people showed up at the hospitals right. when they were sick, and they spread the virus in the hospitalized setting. It's an older population. There's higher smoking rates. So there's reasons why Italy, the background in Italy, was more conducive to a bad outcome relative to what our experience could be if we do the right things. Okay. Dr. Gottlieb, it's always good to speak with you, and uh, please stay safe out there, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot Thanks more a lot. later this week. You bet. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. 
But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Together in spirit, if keeping social distance. Please continue to tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Wherever you are listening these days, we are working so hard to be there. So stick with us, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.